Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com/fool. It's Thursday, January 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Happy Thursday. Thank you. We've got a lot to get to. We've got earnings. We're going to dip into the full mailbag to talk ETFs. We've got a preview of the Motley Fool Money radio show this weekend, but we're going to start today with housing. KB Homes shares up 11% this morning. Fourth quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Stock hitting a 10 year high. Yes, yes. Getting it uh, all the way back to a little bit less than half of its uh, pre recession high. If you got into KB Home in, say, the year 2000, well, you're pleased that with the 10 year run the stock has had from, well, the last 10 years. But as you yeah. point out, it's nowhere near where it was in 04, 05. Yeah, wild ride. If you were to open up a, a long chart, you know, 20 year chart um, of KB Homes, you would see a huge uh, peak right there uh, at 05. I've Talked about this before, where something goes straight up and straight down, and this is uh, referred to, uh, at least by Bill Mann, as the middle finger chart. Yeah. And so, one of the more interesting things about it, and we'll get to the, the present earnings in a moment, but in 05, that's when it peaked. I mean, two years, three years before uh, the real uh, maximum pain uh, was suffered uh, in the economy. So, there were indications. Uh, well ahead of time, the stock had gotten ahead of itself. It 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 got uh, in '05. It was doing uh, eight million dollars, eight billion dollars a year in revenue, nine billion in in '06, and uh, you know it was down to less than two billion by '09. And that that level held for about five six years, and you know now it's getting back up to mid threes as of '16, uh, uh, and last year a little above four. Four billion. So it's still less than half. Just like the um, the stock, uh, the actual business is about less than half of what it was at the peak. So, is there anything that you look at in housing, whether it's KB Home or just you know Dr. Horton, any anything in the housing industry? Is there anything you see that makes you think, boy, we're getting we're getting close to bubble territory here? No, I think that uh, it may turn out to be the case. That if interest rates uh, go back to anything approaching uh, levels that they lived at comfortably for long periods of time, that housing is going to look uh, tougher then than it does today. Uh, but the, no, I think that the, certainly the lessons of uh, 08, 09 regarding extension of credit being the biggest problem that led to everybody buying six or seven houses at the time, uh, that, that's not present. Let's move on to Delta. Fourth quarter profits came in higher than expected. Delta also raised guidance for 2018, and seemed to be pretty clear about the fact that uh, the raise in guidance was due to the cut in corporate taxes. Yeah, I think the the raise is about 20 percent. There are a number of other airlines have been coming out uh, recently with the the tax guidance is going to be a consistent theme for this earnings season. Uh, for every company, hey, what what do your taxes look like now that you've got the bill and and you can you've done the numbers and tell us 
what the answer is. And, you know, if they're in the realm, this is not going to be for everybody where they're seeing their tax rate go from 35% the federal maximum federal rate to 21%. But Delta uh, was in that, that group that was paying, I think, an effective tax rate of uh, 38%, maybe something like that, because there are other, you know, credits and there are state taxes. So, uh, but they're, you know they're going to keep uh, 14 cents of every dollar of profit more next year than they kept last year. Am I the only one who's having trouble adjusting to a world where airlines are a profitable and good investment? You're not the only one, but you keep pointing out that you're having trouble adjusting. I, re- <laughs> I really am. Well, let me let's just go back to comparing your old experience on airlines and your current experience on airlines. You know, do you think that you get on a plane and it's full. Yes, they just seem to be running an unpleasant, often at times, for their customers' business. Although they're trying, uh, but the consequence of filling up the planes and having, you know, multiple people waiting uh, on standby to make sure every seat is filled. Uh, is is a full plane, which I, I loved getting on a plane and having it to myself in the old days, or having a row or something like that. That doesn't happen. Um, that's too bad from from our experience. But uh, it, the airlines, you can just visibly see they're busier and they're running all the planes full. So I don't think that going forward, you should think this is some weird period of time where airlines actually made a profit. Really, we should look back on the old days uh, as as the weird period of time where because and say what were they doing running what, those planes? What were they doing? There was there was a lot of money that would constantly go to new airlines. I think a lot of people thought, "Hey, I'll start an airline. Uh, that'll be fun." Uh, you know, not individuals. They weren't. It takes a little bit of money to do that, but there there were just too many airlines, um, too much competition from the perspective of owners of airline stock, that is. It was great when there were too many airlines and you could do things like, uh, in our uh, market, get on Independence Air. Did you ever do that? No. I don't even remember Independence Air. It was it was around, it was up for about three years, something like that. And I, as far my memory is they just paid you <laughs> to fly them. Please, we're lonely. Get on the plane. <laughs> and, and so, you could get, I got a couple of like $29 flights to Albany. And granted, that's not the most competitive route, uh, DC to Albany, but twenty nine bucks, and again, and the plane would be virtually empty. Yeah, no, I remember, I remember things like Eastern Airlines and uh, and Trump Airlines, where it, it, there would be tickets for twenty bucks. Did you ever fly Trump Airlines? I think I did fly Trump one time. Yeah, I, I think I did like a Boston to New York thing one time. And and to right. your to they your had point, the shuttle the shuttle route, Boston right. uh, DC New York. Yeah, and to your point. There were so many options. There were just so many options in terms of airlines and in terms of times. Would you like to go at 10 a.m.? How about 10:15? How about 10:30? Well, that and so, you know, for whatever you think of Donald Trump, he he was fairly consistently an inept businessman, and so his presence in the airlines um, sort of guaranteed that you would have this inefficiently run. You know, the, you really should be able to make a killing on the D.C. Boston. New York uh, route because you've got a lot of people doing last minute travel, a lot of people, a lot of uh, business travel, a lot of business travel, uh, and his ability to lose as much money as quickly as he did on that was you know characteristic of 
his other business operations. But you know that it's that was part of the problem is that people like Trump were involved in running airlines because they thought uh, it would be fun or it'd be a marquee thing for them to do. You know, he wasn't the only one. He might have been one of the you know the least competent doing it, but. Um, there were there were plenty of others as well that that thought along the same lines. Do you ever think about like because you have to believe that at least part of the interest in putting up a building or starting an airline is slapping a name on it? Just you know, I'm going to put my name on this plane. I'm going to put my name on this building. Do you ever think about like a Barker Airlines if you had all the money in the world? No, no, because <laughs> now it's a profitable business. <laughs> All the money in the world running an airline? No, doesn't yeah. doesn't even sound fun. Nobody likes airlines anymore. It doesn't seem glamorous to to fly, does it? Not really, no. But not uh, like in the old days. Well, do you, it, do you ever like uh, put the coat and tie on to fly when you were a kid? I, I remember that happening when I was a kid. The uh, the idea that uh, I think we were flying uh, first to Boston and then to New York, and the whole idea of yeah, you, we're you're going it's to like be, going to church. You're it's, it's, you're going to the big city. Get dressed up. Get dressed up. So they let you on the plane. Exactly. They're not going to let you on without a tie. If only I had the foresight to say to my parents, I've seen the future, and it involves a lot of people getting on planes in their pajamas and flip flops. <laughs> Trust me on this. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Brian Diedrich, who writes, if you believe the U.S. stock market will end up higher than lower over the long term, and let's just go ahead and stipulate that, at least in this room, we do, and go up in more years than it will go down, why not invest in leveraged index funds, normal, uh, normal unleveraged index funds? are always recommended as safe and steady investment options due to the high level of confidence in the S&P 500. So, why not throw some leverage in for increased returns? What do you think about that idea? Well, it's an idea that would have worked out in the recent past when the stock market was consistently going up. But the Okay, so what you're saying the next 9 years are not going to be like the last nine in terms of the market <laughs> going up? Uh, what I'm saying is that that you're not buying and owning Parts of a business, you're buying and uh, you're buying an ETF which holds various option contracts, so that you, which are betting on short terms in, in the market, and the cost of that erodes your returns in uh, in many other situations other than a market just going up twenty five percent. Now, if you could go back in time and invest in a three X levered ETF rather than an S&P 500 index fund last year, uh, you know that might be one of the things you would do with the power to go back in time. There might be even more interesting things to do with that power, but that's <laughs> one of the things you could have done. And, uh, but you, you're not an owner, an investor in a business. You're, you're a speculator on movements in stock prices, because you don't, you don't own a piece of the business. That's not what you own when you own ETFs. They've got you know, you can't just. You're not. They're not buying three times as many uh, stocks with one time the money. It's it's a function, and it's interesting that they're able to achieve this uh, with the the levers uh, that they have. Uh, but you're betting on prices. You're not betting on the rewards of of ownership over long periods of time. And the erosion of those intr- instruments oftentimes gives you 
less than than 3x one way or the other of course you know you could be the other reason not to own 3x uh, of it is that it could go down three times as fast nobody likes to think about that part though not many people are thinking about it right now and the day will come when the three times the direction of the market is really really painful uh, and if you're a long-term shareholder you can just you own your stock and this, as the stock returns to its old levels you have the same thing you always had which is a share of that stock uh, with this these instruments the you're paying and you're getting little bits of your original dollar taken away from you all the time so you you know on a round trip um, of the stock market prices you're going to lose money in a 3x vehicle whereas in a round trip of stock ownership you're going to return to your original you know investment uh, before we go on, I want to say thanks to Rocket Mortgage. Um, you know, if you're looking to get a mortgage, you can. Uh, here's something you could do: boost your credit score before applying, because the better your credit score, the less your loan is going to cost you. That's one tip. And the other tip is check out Rocket Mortgage, uh, because when you're making a big financial decision like that, you want to be as confident as you can be in your life, in your job, and Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence. When it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan, it's simple. Rocket Mortgage allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. So, to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com/fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. Not like some of those other fly-by-night places that are only licensed in like 30 or 40 states. They're or, licensed in all 50. Or even like ah, not Alaska. Not Hawaii, not just the continental. That's well. Let's just do. Who would do business with those people? (sighs) Licensed in forty-eight or forty-nine states. No, you want to be licensed in all fifty. NMLSConsumerAccess.org number thirty thirty. Got to give a quick shout out to longtime listener Matt Holzman from Denver, Colorado, who's in town for business and visiting us here at Fool HQ, and brought a little something from the good people. At Stranahan's, uh, which is a Colorado whiskey company, and I haven't opened it, but they're, I think they're little glasses, which uh, which I'm very excited about. So thank you to Matt for coming in. Really appreciate it. Um, uh, this is not going to be one of those shows where we're drinking whiskey during the show. No, that's no. not. No, we save that for <laughs> the, the 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 now twice apropos of nothing episode. But we'll use those glasses for the next apropos of nothing. We, we you know what we had talked about that the other day the idea that there might be there might be a third apropos of nothing episode coming sometime maybe maybe end of the month we'll see we'll see we're still working it's a on trilogy it. <laughs> it's like the worst this is where <laughs> it's like if we're ranking rank ordering trilogies we've got the Godfather. We've got uh, you know Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and way down at the bottom of the list is the Apropos of Nothing podcast trilogy. But on the on the positive side, whereas probably people are still reeling from the disappointment of, of number two, because the middle part of a trilogy is always kind of a usually a weak bridge. You know, but you you establish the premise in one, and then three you wrap up the story, and in two it's like ah, I don't know what we're doing here. We're just we're going to leave you with a cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, maybe. Although that was the Godfather was not supposed to go three rounds. Yes, that was a situation where Francis Ford Coppola needed money, <laughs> where he he was investing in his uh, vineyard because he he's a winemaker and uh, needed money. And and someone came to him and said, you know what, you could do to to get some money, make a third Godfather. And so that's how that worked out. Yeah. So it really wasn't a, a 
trilogy, pure trilogy. Uh, it, it was. I mean, I, I I will defend The Godfather Part Three just because uh, there are very few of us who will actually do that. It still got nominated for Best Picture, so I, you know, it's it's it just doesn't hold up to the other two. The other two are two of the greatest films of all time. The, you know, The Godfather Part Three, it has its flaws. It's still a good movie I, in my mind. Yeah, I'd side with the masses that uh, <laughs> not not and, and thinking as I recall it that the the weakness was uh, Sofia Coppola, whose obvious talents as a, a director uh, didn't translate as well. To her on-screen performance in that movie—that's true, which is which is a little odd. Only in this sense, she is such a talented writer and director of film. So it's slightly odd to me that she wouldn't be uh, almost as good at acting. Let's give her another chance. Okay, has she done other acting that we, that we recall? I don't know, but you know what? She's so good at writing and directing that yeah. she's probably like, I don't write this. something for yourself. I think and that's then, yeah. isn't that what she does when anytime she writes isn't that what any writer does? I mean, ultimately they're writing it for themselves. Well, but she's not not writing it for herself to then perform it. Yeah, there that's you go. what I mean. Um, I want to say because it was a week ago this time that uh, I announced the uh, the launch of the Motley Fool Podcast Shop, which you can find at shop.fool.com, and I wanted to just share a couple of uh, just early takeaways from the shop. Uh, first, thank you to the. Uh, to the dozens of listeners for the enthusiastic response, because uh, people bought stuff. And even people who were just like, I just love that you're doing this. That's fantastic. So, I, I appreciate that. Um, the, the most popular items in the shop early on appear to be the Invest Better items, the Invest Better mug, the Invest Better t-shirt, that sort of thing. Although, I will say that the, the number one selling item right now is... Um, uh, is the mug that I have here in the studio, which is the uh, Motley Full Money mug. The 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 mug that says, well, the opening line of Motley Fool Money, which is, everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. And um, I mentioned that only because that was the last item added. We had seven items for the shop, and it was, and just at the last minute, I was like, ah, you know, I'm just going to throw this in here. I, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if it's going to sell or anything, but I'm just going to throw this in here. And um, and early on, it's the number one selling item, proving once again that I really don't know much of anything. Uh, have you ever thought about going with? Uh, do you have your own catchphrase? Because really, that's pirated. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know that I do. No, nothing that would be slapped on a mug. Uh, so, have you thought about developing one? Uh, I really haven't. Uh, but let me let me just add one more comment on the shop early takeaway because there there was some feedback about the shipping fees, and I'll just simply say we're working on that because here's what I've learned about shipping in the last week or so. Uh, that uh, part of it depends on distance and part of it depends on weight. So, if you're buying a baseball cap or a t-shirt, you're really not going to pay a lot in shipping at all. If you're buying a single mug and you live, say, for example, on the east coast of the United States of America, uh, you're going you're to be paying more in shipping. So, we're, we're working on that. And we're, the fragility involved. There's a lot more involved in the packaging of shipping a ceramic mug than there is a t-shirt because nobody's really worried about a t-shirt breaking. Right. And if they are, they need help. You, yeah, you don't understand how t-shirts work. Right. Try uh, try wearing a few more. They won't break. <laughs> You'll get a sense. It's not just ours. It's not yours you're not advertised like we've got the unbreakable t-shirts. Maybe we should try that, though. I don't know. <laughs> See if that works. Uh, this weekend on Motley Fool Money, our guest is Dan Pink, best-selling author, um, who's out with a brand new book. 
Uh, Dan was in the office uh, yesterday, and I got to interview him in front of a live audience. And uh, Dan Pink is. Uh, I, I said this um, at the beginning of our talk yesterday. He is one of the most intellectually curious people I've ever encountered in my life, and um, uh, I'm I'm not finished with his book. I'm about halfway through it, but I'm really enjoying it. And uh, uh, so that interview is this weekend. And what I what I learned about Dan that I did not know is that Dan and you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, Dan, big coffee guy, big coffee drinker, big fan of coffee. And just like you and me, uh, is Dan is looking to use Twitter not just to share ideas and share information about his books and his writings and his appearances, because he's about to go on a 30-city book tour, uh, but he also uses Twitter to just knock down the, the, the haters out there who are saying that, that caffeine is uh, bad for you. The well, coffee you, is bad for you. You referred to him as intellectually curious and therefore educated, right? Yes. And to be educated is to be a big coffee drinker, isn't it? I, I think so. I mean, you could just take someone's word for it, like, oh, coffee, that's bad for you. It's like, no. That, there's, there's an increasing amount of scientific research just backing coffee as, um, I mean, is cure-all too strong a phrase? We don't know yet. <laughs> it, it's, too, it's too strong a phrase right now. But uh, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, maybe. Yeah. Uh, well, he's certainly he's part of, and we are as well, part of the uh, the coffee generation. <laughs> That's true. That's true. If you are of a certain age, and I think we'll we'll probably put this out on the the market foolery feed. If you are of a certain age, and by that I mean you were uh, growing up in the '80s, you may remember a television commercial that was produced by the National Coffee Association. And it was, yeah, it was about the new coffee generation and be part of the coffee achievers. It was, it's, it's a, it is an, it's a commercial that um, is so wonderfully emblematic of the 1980s. <laughs> like it is, if you want to know what the 1980s were like, just go onto YouTube and find find the coffee achievers commercial. Well, it's hard to remember now, but there was a time when coffee was worried that uh, it was it was losing. Uh, Losing out, uh, there was a generation coming along that did not adopt the habit of drinking coffee, and certainly there were health risks involved with a whole generation skipping coffee. And so I think they were. Do- it was more of a public service announcement in, in a hind- lot of ways. In hindsight, it looks like a public service announcement. At the time, let's be clear, it was the it was the coffee. Association of, of America going, holy cow! Coffee is seen as boring and old, and we gotta we gotta make drinking coffee exciting. What eclectic group of people can we get and put into a commercial? And they came up with uh, Anna Nancy Wilson from Heart, yeah, uh, Jane Curtin from Saturday Night Live, Kurt Vonnegut for Kurt some Vonnegut. reason. Yep, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Kurt. I'm not sure why Kurt Vonnegut is in that ad, but I but love, he's great in it. I love he that is he's great. in it. He rocks that ad. Isn't and, Bowie? Uh, isn't David Bowie in that ad? Not the one that I was uh, rewatching. Okay, but, uh, there are a lot of great uh, talents of the era, all of whom uh, appreciated coffee, and it worked. It planted the seeds that laid the groundwork for the explosion of coffee in the '90s with Starbucks. Have you? Uh, speaking of Starbucks, have you seen these new ads? They're, they're one of the very few times in my life that I've ever seen a Starbucks ad on TV was last night. What was it? Was it for this blonde espresso thing? Exactly, it's working. We're here. They've got us talking about it. 
Uh, yes, they, they don't have us buying it, though. So, I no. mean, yes, we're talking about it, but it is sort of noteworthy that, that Starbucks is buying television ads because throughout the company's history, they really haven't done that very often. What Do you have any sense of why they're doing this? I, it's just, just the launch of this blonde espresso and, uh, and looking to get attention. I don't know if it is a sign of a difference in management philosophy. Um, now that Schultz is not making those calls, or I, I guess is not, and I, think I would hope not. I would hope the chairman of the board is not making decisions about television commercials. Right, I would hope not, uh, but uh, I don't know what the dynamic is there. Uh, but uh, now that he is still uh, very much involved in the company, focusing on the reserves, uh, the roasteries, the roasteries, uh, but it, it was surprising. Uh, as we agreed, to see any Starbucks ad on TV. Here's what I like about the blonde espresso drink. It seems like an adult drink, and it seems like it's not a one-time fad, like the unicorn frappuccino nonsense that they pulled last year. No, apparently this is the first uh, time in 40 years that they've added a new espresso blend. Not not a form of espresso, uh, but uh, you know a different a different bean, I guess. I think we're at the end of this episode, aren't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were probably ten minutes ago. But um, if you re- you want to read more, um, not necessarily about coffee, but about actual investments, about actual asset management from Bill Barker and his colleagues at Motley Fool Asset Management, then here, here's how you fix that: you go to foolfunds.com. Uh, and check out their latest writings, because it's great stuff about the world of investing. Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan, pulling double duty once again. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. are the new American society, the movers and the shakers. You are the new coffee generation. Because coffee lets you calm yourself down and picks you up. Coffee gives you the serenity to dream it and the vitality to do it. No other drink does that like coffee. Join the coffee achievers. Keep rocking.